am I hoping that that is temporary? Yes, because I, I do think that in-classroom learning is the real deal. And, mm. you know, it's kind of like where you make connections, where you connect to cultures uh, a lot more. Getting that cultural experience and immersing yourself in that culture is, you know, virtually impossible. Or, you know, to do it, like, enthusiastically is almost impossible to do online. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, like, the rest of the world that, like, you know, when this COVID thing blows over, just like the pandemic 100 years ago, you know, you had, you know, like, World War One, the, the, the Spanish flu, was it? And that when that blew over, man, you had the roaring 20s, man. The roaring 20s. Hello, I'm Alan Hill. In this podcast series of The Nostalgic Vagabond, we're talking travel, all kinds of travel, with all kinds of interesting people from all around the world. In conversation, we'll share personal anecdotes, tales of adventure, and maybe misadventure too. Listen in for some unique cultural perspectives, tips from seasoned veterans, and an array of diverse experiences that have contributed to many life-changing journeys. Travel really is a privilege. We know that now. And if we can't do it right this very moment, let's talk about it then. Hey, where are you right now? On this episode of the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast, I talk with Chris Ascroft. Chris and I chatted on the first series of the podcast last summer, during the main wave of the coronavirus pandemic. We linked up from Liverpool and Montreal to discuss travel, traveller hostel culture, and teaching English abroad. At that time, Chris was preparing to begin a new adventure in a new country, teaching more than just English as a second language, but teaching all kinds of subjects in the English language to grade three kids, and over 40 of them in the class too. Whoa. In conversation, we get straight into the COVID updates out there in Taiwan and surrounds. Basically, Taiwan is COVID-free, as Chris tells. They're conducting pandemic tours to cater to domestic tourists, as no international tourists are coming in right now. Chris thinks back to after summer last year, when he packed up life again in Canada and moved back out to Asia. He was excited to come to Taiwan to live and to work, and has discovered many interesting things about the place that people maybe don't know, like the amount of good local food there, especially in Chris's favourite night markets. Chris shares what exactly his role as a homeroom teacher involves, how this role has been different from previous teaching jobs he's had. He shares what it has been like in the first six months teaching in Taiwan in the midst of a global corona crisis. Apart from working, there is a lot that Taiwan has to offer for leisure time. Chris explains how much of the island is accessible by high-speed train, and there is a richness and diversity of places to visit, things to see and do. Beaches, hikes, historical towns, different cultural places, and great food everywhere. We conclude the chat on what Chris thinks will happen about COVID and teaching, for now and the future. Chris has tips for anyone considering teaching English abroad as well. One thing's for certain, Chris is fond of Taiwan. Anyways, here's our great conversation. Chris Ascroft, thank you for coming back on the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. You were on early on uh, in this first series. Correct. And you zoomed in from your hometown of Montreal. Also correct. However, yeah, you're not in Montreal anymore. So where are you right now? I am in Taipei in Taiwan. 
Nice. Yeah, we were touching on your possibility of moving out there in the previous podcast episode because you're a teacher. You're a, you're a teacher abroad. So mm -hmm. how's that going for you right now in Taipei? Uh, yeah, things are going really well. Things are going uh, swimmingly. I'm really, really, really happy to be here. Uh, all things considered, you know, globally, and just kind of like how Taiwan has dealt incredibly well with the whole COVID situation. The last six months of my life have been just amazing compared to the six months before that. Mm. Night and day, completely, you know, 180. Yeah, it's interesting how all the different countries are coping or not coping so well with the same pandemic, you know. I mean, I'm in the UK, and we're suffering a lot over here with lockdowns I've heard, and yeah. when you were in Canada I remember mm -hmm. when we were zooming last summer you were kind of in a lockdown in Quebec yep. and it wasn't the greatest place to be was it and I mean I'm I'm aware that Taiwan is handling things a lot better is that the case Taiwan like just hats off to Taiwan for like everything they've done so far I, I think like Taiwan doesn't get a whole lot of press uh, you know, it's a small island, you know, like what they've done is complete is so remarkable. So the thing is like, they went like eight or I think eight or nine months without a domestic transmission case. That means like nobody infected someone else in the general population for like, you know, eight or nine months. So that means it was like life is normal for eight or nine months. And then there's one pilot and um, a pilot for Eva Air, a guy from New Zealand, he was COVID positive and in the general population, people, like people were kind of panicking, but you know, the thing is the crux of it is that they had all these kind of like preventative, like, you know, even though there was no domestic transmissions, people were still wearing masks in all the subways and all the big public places. So, I mean, this kind of like mitigates like, you know, how fast the thing can spread when it does eventually spread because to keep it at zero all the time is almost impossible. There's bound to have like, you know, a case kind of like seep through. And so with this one guy, he only infected one person. That was the person he was really, really close with, a friend of his actually. And then she did not infect anybody else. And he, they took the subway together. They went to restaurants together. They went to like all these big box stores together and they infected nobody at these places, which is kind of like, wow, miraculous. Mm. And just kudos to Taiwan for like having these, you know, preemptive plans in place and just like running with them. More recently, there was something a bit more serious. There was a doctor. So we have cases that come in every day, but these aren't local transmissions, they're imported cases. So they're kind of like, you know, imagine like uh, we're on stage, you know, these cases are behind the curtain, they're backstage. And they don't get past that curtain for the most part, except there was a slip up and one of the doctors got infected. Like hats off to him for being on the front lines of this whole thing. Cause there's imported cases all the time. And the doctors and nurses are battling this, you know, this, this epidemic or this pandemic while the general population is kind of oblivious to it here because, you know, they're, we're so safe here mm -hmm. and we're so protected by that front line. So this doctor got it. So there was a small cluster of cases, you know, the doctor gave it to a nurse, uh, gave it to another doctor. And that was, there was about 21 cases in total centered around this one hospital. But yeah, I mean, there was, it was really scary because the, the daughter of one of the, the doctors got it and she worked at a burger place for two days while infected, but you know, she was wearing a mask the whole time. And it seems like miraculously that they've kind of put this, uh, this cluster to an end. Uh, there hasn't been a case in a few days now, like I think four or five days. 
Uh, so that's quite amazing. But you know what they did with those like you know 21 people? I think they put like 10,000 people into isolation because of that. Whoa. Don't quote me. It was maybe like 10 or 12,000 people, uh, all centered in that town of Taiyuan, which is only about an hour away from here. Yeah, it seems like when you're being very, very strict, that's the way of nipping it in the bud as quickly as possible. Yeah, I actually, you know, it's funny. I went on a pandemic tour, and I, I learned kind of like, yeah, like what one of the uh, the tour like organizations here. I mean, it, there's you know, there's no busloads of like you know tourists from abroad, so they're trying to cater to the you know the the local population. So I went on a pandemic tour, and it was really interesting. They're talking about like the different ways that they were fighting COVID, you know, through tele, you know, using tracking tracing apps and stuff and like so like telecommunications how the post office had a role in like you know delivering products to hospitals and stuff uh they took us to the first hospital that had the major SARS outbreak that became like the playbook for how they're going to deal with this pandemic response and so it was really really interesting mm. taiwan just has such a, a strong grasp on like how to deal with a pandemic or epidemic it's super remarkable yes and like and because of that i'm so happy to be here when we were speaking on the last podcast episode, we were both locked down. I was in the UK, you were in Canada. Mm -hmm. I imagine at that time, we knew a lot less about everything compared to what we know now. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering if you had any trepidations about traveling across the world at that time, and also what it would be like once you arrived in Taiwan. So, I mean, it always crosses your mind, you know, like... You know, you're you're on a plane for like five hours. I mean, I had a five-hour flight to Vancouver, and then I had a like nine or ten-hour flight to Taiwan. And obviously, it crosses my mind. The biggest thing was like to not. My biggest trepidation back at home about going out was getting sick and you know infecting my my parents, who are you know quite a bit older than I am. That was my biggest concern. But then once they were removed from that equation, I wasn't as scared of getting sick anymore. The biggest thing is always, am I going to get other people sick? But if I'm going somewhere and then going into isolation, that I'm not too, too worried about that. Uh, was I scared about getting sick? A little bit, but not too, too much. I, I did have an N95 mask. The Air Canada flight, that was a bit scary because it's a five-hour flight, and it was, like, uh, full to the brim. Like, it was a sold-out flight. There was no social distancing, <laughs> nothing. Like, they did not care. Uh, people were wearing their masks improperly. Uh, some people were really, really cavalier about it. Like, you can take off your mask to eat. Uh, conveniently, people were eating all the time. That's like a slight <laughs> exaggeration, but like, you know what I mean? Mm. Eat your food, put your mask on, and, uh, you know. But no, some people are just taking their, their sweet time, which is quite frustrating. I have to say, like, one of the things about being somewhere that doesn't really have COVID is just also not having to deal with the politics of it. Uh, just all the the bickering back and forth about masks, about vaccines, yada yada yada. It's kind of like you know, the virus and the disease itself is you know super serious, and I acknowledge that. But it's kind of like all the 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 banter that goes along with it, and the the bickering that goes along with it that I just you know I'm so glad to have rid like rid myself of. Fingers crossed. When you were coming into Taiwan to start your contract, did you know that? the situation was going to be better in Taiwan compared to Canada? Or yeah, was it like totally. a, just a very pleasant surprise? No, of course I knew. Um, I've been following, you know, having spent like three years in Korea, and I'd visited Taiwan for, for, for 10 days before moving back to Canada. 
uh, and I have friends in Taiwan and, you know, I was keeping a pulse on the region, you know, in Korea, Korea was doing exceptionally well uh, at one point. Taiwan has done well, incredibly well the whole time. And so it was definitely on my radar. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons, like, I mean, for sure, like, I'd be naive to say that it wasn't one of the reasons I moved here. People joke around like, oh, are you a COVID refugee? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, this is my field. I'm, you know, I'm not doing something uh, that I wouldn't have done normally. It just kind of like happens that also Taiwan is doing incredibly well with the COVID situation. And I'd be lying if I didn't take that under consideration. Can you articulate or even just in your own opinion, in your own words, give reasons as to th- you th- why you think Taiwan is handling the situation so well? Is it a cultural thing? Is it um, uh, being an island kind of isolated from mainland populations? What, what do you think? All of the above, what, what you just said. So, I mean, first and foremost, like the, the biggest thing was shutting down super fast. So, I, you know, the first cases like emerged in Wuhan or allegedly, you know, uh, were in Wuhan. Mm. And Taiwan just, you know, they just closed off their borders. They sealed their borders. They stopped flights immediately. You know, you look at Taiwan, it has one of the densest populations in the entire world. And something like as contagious as COVID could, you know, it would go like like a wildfire here, you know, if it were left uncontrolled. Taiwan was hit incredibly hard by the SARS epidemic in, I believe it was like 2003. And, you know, they learned their lesson from that. They had a playbook. They had a governing agency that was central to managing an epidemic or eventual pandemic. And so the thing is, like, when it came to making these, like, brisk decisions, they didn't have to go through all these kind of, like, layers of legislation. You know, they were just able to, like, drop the hammer really quickly. And, all right, flights uh, are not coming in from this area, this area, this area. And flights that do come in, you know, when they impose their kind of, like, like quarantine hotel scheme was that, you know, flights are only going to come into Taoyuan, which is basically the Taipei airport, and in Kaohsiung, the airport down south. So limiting uh, how people got into the country through two kind of like main accesses, it's basically you're funneling people into two, two, two specific areas, and then controlling how those people are dealt with once they arrive. Mm-hmm. And this is a stark contrast to Canada, where we have, you know, something like 30,000 truck drivers that cross the border every day. And so it's, you know, I mean, this is essential because, you know, the United States and Canada are like two biggest trading partners in the world. So having that kind of like physical border with that kind of like, you know, the type of trade that we have is incredibly difficult to regulate. So, I mean, it's, it's another one of the reasons why, you know, island nations have done so much better at controlling the epidemic or the pandemic now than... I guess, like countries that have like long borders, like the one Canada has with the US. So in a lot of ways, like, you know, (laughs) Canada's response to the virus was, you know, hand in hand with how the US dealt with it, because we have such a a dependency on each other. Yeah, you kind of, you're almost one because you're so open physically with each other, with the huge border across the north there, absolutely that people are just coming and going willy-nilly almost all the time right but but it took kind of like so long to like uh i remember like i came i was in mexico when we were like quote unquote told to come home 
and it just kind of like startled me that the, you know we were told to come home i believe it was like march 13th la, you know last year and when i arrived there was just there was nothing at the airport there's no one to greet us like no one to tell us what to do no one to tell us to go into isolation i only went into isolation because i t was heard that we had to on the news you know things just worked incredibly slowly like canada just started like you know mandating quarantine hotels like as of like last week dude it's been like almost a calendar year <laughs> like it's 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 just nuts like yeah it's crazy yeah very interesting now apart from the covid situation in taiwan chris i was just wondering i've never been to taiwan mm -hmm. i don't know that much about it people don't so could you just describe <laughs> briefly what is taiwan like i mean i know it's china but not china right can you just give us a, a brief description, Chris, on what Taiwan is like? I mean, it's funny. Whenever you read about Taiwan, they always describe it as like vibrant democracy. And it, it totally is that. It totally is that. It's just funny. Like the wording is so repetitive uh, whenever they talk <laughs> about Taiwan. Yeah, it's a beautiful island nation, subtropical in temperature. It has about 20, I think it's like 23 million people. So, you know, roughly like two thirds of the population of Canada but on this tiny island that you can cross in less than two hours on a high-speed train. Hmm. When you think about that, like compared to like that to the size of Canada, which, you know, it takes you about a week to drive across Canada. So it's a huge <laughs> difference. And most people don't know this, but Taiwan is incredibly green, incredibly mountainous. It has hundreds of mountains that are over 3,000 meters in altitude, uh, mostly centered in the middle of the country. And then, you know, most of the population lives on the east coast of that. And like I said, there's a high-speed ra high rail, or HSR, that connects the, uh, you know, like all the biggest cities down the coast from Taipei in the north and all the way to Kaohsiung in the south. There's beautiful beaches here. And what else to say? It's the weather's lovely. Uh, Taipei is quite rainy. But I mean, if you take the train an hour outside of Taipei, you're bound to have uh, like a sunny day. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really it's Taiwan's awesome, man. Do they have more than one national language? So uh, that's such a good point. I was going to say um and people don't know that Taiwan is such a mix of cultures. Taiwan and I didn't know this and I found this out when I first visited in 2018. But Taiwan is the point of origin for all the Polynesian populations that have kind of like, you know, s scattered across the uh, South Pacific. Yeah, Taiwan is the birthplace of, I mean, I don't want to sound, but yeah, of Polynesian people, uh, which is amazing. So there are indigenous people uh, from Taiwan. A lot, I think most of them live kind of like in the uh, middle area, the center of Taiwan, and then down south as well. So there are, uh, you know, a bunch of Aboriginal, I guess, peoples and languages. And then you have different regions of China that kind of like moved over in different increments. And so there's a language here called Taiwanese and Taiwanese is actually like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a language from mainland China, but that came here a long before Mandarin came here. And so those are, I think there's a thought of the Hakka people. And for the longest time, I thought the Hakka people were indigenous people, but they're not. They are people from mainland China, but that came here hundreds of years before the, I guess the second wave or the third, I don't know what wave of people uh, that predominantly spoke Mandarin, which is 
So when you when you leave Taipei, when you go down south, like even like you take the the train out an hour, a lot of older people and most people speak Taiwanese. They also speak Mandarin, but you know Taiwanese is much more predominant than you would think,、uh, especially if you're from Taipei, where Mandarin is the predominant language. And then you like you have、uh, it was colonized by the Dutch. So like I was down south in a city called Tainan, and there's Dutch forts down there. And then obviously there was the Japanese occupation, and then you know all the you know the Chinese influence as well. So it's 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 really amazing like how culturally diverse it is, and that's something I think that most people don't know. And I think it's absolutely fascinating.、Uh, it's not like Korea, like in Korea, like you know it's very very homogeneous, you know, very culturally、uh, homogeneous, and you know they don't look at the I mean with good reason. With the Jap- Japanese occupation and as good at all, whereas in Taiwan, you know, they kind of look at the Japanese occupation. I mean, there were atrocities, obviously, but、uh, Taiwanese think very favorably or, th- or or see Japan very favorably. So that so that strong cultural influence, it, you see, you see it kind of like everywhere. Like I did not realize how much Japanese influence there was in Taiwan. And how much they embraced the Japanese influence until I actually lived here. They just opened a Don Quixote store like a few weeks ago. Don Quixote is this like、um, it's a Japanese store,、uh, and there's like it's like a two-hour lineup just to get in. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's tons and tons and tons of Japanese food, and, and it's just funny. Like just I had a map ready to show my kids, and I had it hovering over Taiwan because I assumed that that's where they'd want to visit on the. It was a wind map. I said, okay, what like where do you want to go first?、And、I thought they'd say to Taiwan, so I had it ready on Taiwan. They're they also Japan. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> you want to go to Japan first? They're like, yeah, yeah, let's go to Japan. Wow.、Uh, so we went to Japan like on the wind map, and most of my students have visited Japan. You know, they're like in grade three, and like I would say that like ninety percent of them, maybe even more, have been to Japan and love Japan. Like, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not something you would expect, I suppose. Yeah, and、hmm. like having lived in Korea for three years, like and just like how different their opinions are of Japan. Korea does not get along with Japan. I mean, politically and and for good reason. I mean, like there there were definitely atrocities. There's no doubt about that. Their disposition to Japan is one of like just like they really don't like the Japanese. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a vibe like that when I was visiting in South Korea a couple of years ago.、Right. There was even some some signs on on walls and things about some trade deal that they didn't want to go through or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, like they were even boycotting like Japanese beers at the Seven Elevens, you know, <laughs> and like you know, there's signs up saying like you know, no no more Japanese products and stuff. And I get it, like their their shared history is one of oppression, and there's no doubt about that. It was just、uh, striking to see that Taiwan also has a history of, you know, being colonized, and Japan was also a brutal oppressor here. But from what I understand, they were perhaps not as brutal, which I, I don't understand. Like, you know, an oppressor is an oppressor is an oppressor.、Mm. But、uh, you know, the Japanese are responsible for setting up a lot of the modern kind of like infrastructure,、uh, especially with regards to like medicine. So the Taiwanese are and an education as well, and so in a lot of ways it modernized Taiwan, and so the Taiwanese people are very thankful for that. You know, I think they also keep in mind that there there were brutalities 
that went along with the oppression, but it, it doesn't seem to be something that they dwell upon. Mm. Yeah. It's my sense of it. Like, Chris, you seem that you you seem to be immersing yourself in a lot of the, the cultural aspects of Taiwan there, and you've been there quite a number of months now. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, I mean, you've, you've lived in Korea for a number of years and you had already previously visited Taiwan uh, on a short trip right. uh, a couple of years ago. So it wasn't like you were being thrown into the deep end on this contract to teach out mm-hmm. in Taiwan. But was there still an element of acclimatization and was there still an element of sort of culture shock and getting used to your new living situation once you arrived in Taiwan? Um, and I suppose also with the whole COVID issue, was it easy or was it difficult or was it as it was in your previous experiences moving and living in a new country? It was it was as easy as it could have been, honestly. Like um, when I got off the plane, like I just like I felt like home again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I've never lived in Taiwan, but I, I felt very comfortable here. It, it helps that like people speak the, the level of proficiency in English in Taipei at least is is quite high, quite a bit higher than what I've experienced in in Korea, uh, even Seoul. Mm-hmm. Life in Taipei is very very comfortable. I, I think like the only thing I have trouble with is like like I can't read Chinese, uh, I can't read it, and so that's difficult. But besides that, it's it's been pretty seamless to be honest. Do you think it's because you've had experiences like this before, or is it the fact that the Taiwanese culture just vibes with you, or, or, or what can you explain that reason? I, I think I think like having lived in Korea for sure, and kind of like navigating like how to live in a in a in a new place for sure. Having also like I guess friends, you know, I, I have some friends from grad school here. You know, not showing up to a place and not knowing absolutely nobody, like having some people that I can already like call and like, hey, you want to go hang out? I mean, that's nice. Also, my my job has been good like that. I walked into a school that has, you know, about a dozen other like, you know, English language teachers. And so, you know, they've been here for years and they've been really, really welcoming and accommodating as so far as to offer me a place to stay if I need it, uh, as so far as to, you know, providing me with really anything I need all the information showing me around no it's it's been great man like it's been it's been a really really smooth transition that's great man yeah and and just like so much so many of the services are just like offered like in english here like it's shocking like i i can make it like a like an appointment at the hospital like online in english it's great Hmm. yeah I would not have expected that. I mean, there's there's so many research, and I, I think like I think like one of the things about living abroad is like knowing where to find and how to use those resources. So I think you you arrive somewhere and you're like, oh, like I didn't know there was a hotline I could call. Oh, I didn't know this service was offered. I didn't know I could do this. Just little things, like for example, like just having an easy card. Having an easy card is not something we have in North America, but I've had one in Korea. In Korea. And basically, it's just money you load onto a card, and you can use it kind of anywhere. It's like that's what you use for the bus. So you don't buy like a bus pass. And I just knew that, like living in Korea, and just having seen that things are different in different places, just having that kind of like expectancy, like all right, being able to ask those questions, like all right, it probably doesn't work like it does at home. Like how does it work? Mm. Mm. And I suppose having your uh, previous Asian experiences, you knew that in Taiwan it could be perhaps similar to those other experiences sure. in Korea. So you knew what to look for and what to expect. And it would be sure. most likely different from your Canadian ways of doing things. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, like one thing I've learned that like in Canada everything is like prehistoric. <laughs> <laughs> like, like everything is like, all right, cool. Like we haven't updated this since 1976. <laughs> or you know, and if you're from Montreal, that's like pretty much true because like you know, 67 to 76 is like when most of Montreal was built and basically the last time anything was maintained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I remember those points of interest and those I remember those bulletin points that you were giving on your various tours around Montreal and another tour that you did was a a culinary and gastronomical tour of Montreal and I'm aware that Chris you you are into your different types of foods you like cultural foods and I was wondering if you'd come across any interesting cultural foods so far in your time in Taiwan and, and what are they? Yeah, the food in Taiwan is awesome. One of the best things about uh, Taiwan is night markets. So night markets are basically, you know, I mean, they're all over the place. Like, it's not just one in, ta- in Taipei. There's like dozens in Taipei. And uh, like each kind of like neighborhood will have its own night market. Basically, it'll be like on a on a small, usually pedestrian street. Kiosks or booths will open up. You know, they'll start rolling their stuff out around four thirty. They'll be open at five, and they usually go on till about ten or eleven. And it's just like a smorgasbord of like food, of drinks, of sometimes like a lot of games. You know, they'll have like carnival type games and stuff. It's super fun. I mean, and then like, you know, like shops with clothes and stuff. It's just like a a hodgepodge of stuff. And it's really, really cool. So, I mean, that's kind of like where a lot of the Taiwanese kind of like street food comes from. Taiwanese snacks. And so, yeah, you you know, that's where you get like a gu gu bao, like a kind of like Taiwanese hamburger type thing. It's like, um, like it's hard to explain. It's kind of like a Taiwanese hamburger. (laughs) Yeah, that's not that hard to explain. There's one one thing I've had that's cool is uh, like a kind of like a ice cream burrito roll, and they take like you know ice cream and they roll it up in a burrito, and then they put like they shave off peanut uh, shavings and put the peanut shavings, and then they throw on cilantro, and that is like that is really really good. I was like I was skeptical with the cilantro, but I was like oh no 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 this this definitely works. Huh. Yeah, then like the. Um, the Fuzhou, this is, and this is like a Michelin place, you know, a lot of the street food in Taiwan has been, you know, they don't have like Michelin stars, but they've been recognized by Michelin. And there's this one place at one of the, the Raohei night market, and it's these uh, black pepper buns. And oh my gosh, they're, they're putting these kind of like tandoor ovens or whatever, and then they're heated up. It's just like this black pepper bun and you, you bite into it. And it's like this mixture of like spices and onions and herbs and ground pork. Mm. And it is off the hook, man. Uh, What else? Yeah, there's tons of good food here. Lots and lots of good food. I mean, beef noodle, obviously, that's the the go-to. And when you're cruising around these markets at night, uh, is the price to buy these street foods very reasonable? Cheap. Yeah, like two two dollars, like three dollars Canadian. Really, really cheap. Uh, it's it's heaps of fun, man. I mean, and each night market kind of has their own thing that they're known for. Like, kind of like that stands out uh, each night market. It's like, oh, you got to go to this market for stinky tofu. Like, that's, that's... stinky tofu. So stinky tofu is another one. I've never had <laughs> that yet. Can you tofu. believe it? I've been like, I've been waiting. Yeah, no, stinky tofu is like a staple of the Taiwanese, like, you know, culinary experience. But that said, I've never had it yet. I've kind of been waiting for the special time or moment to get it. And there's, there's a, um, a street 
It's called, it's a, so this is a district in New Taipei City. New Taipei City is like the, kind of like the outskirts of Taipei. And actually I live really, like I live in Taipei, but I live close in New Taipei City. And so there's this uh, district in New Taipei City called Shenkeng. And Shenkeng has an old street. And on the old street, they are famous for their stinky tofu. And that's the place you got to go for stinky tofu. And I've never had it yet, but that's where I got to go. So I'm waiting to go there. Mm. So people are like, oh, how, how, like, how have you been here for six months and not had stinky tofu? You must be ashamed of yourself. And nobody says that. They're so nice. <laughs> but like, I think that I'm like, oh my gosh, like I've been here six months and I haven't had the jewel, you know, the crown jewel of Taiwanese street food yet. And I feel horrible, but I'm just to let you know, people who are listening, I'm waiting for the right time. Yeah. You can't rush these things. You cannot rush And these also things. the right street market, the right place to eat the stinky tofu. Heck yeah. And the right people to eat it with. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, I, I don't want to like just go with some <laughs> schmuck and be like, oh, like, who'd you have your first? It's like, it's like your first love, man. Like, who'd you have your first stinky tofu with? Oh, I don't remember. Some randos, some random. No, 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 no. It was with this you know, it's a special person. It's like, who'd you take the prom? You mean like, you, gotta, you, you, you remember these things forever, don't you? Yeah. yeah well, if if I ever have some stinky tofu, I want to know who I experienced that moment with. I, I honestly wish that it would it could, it could be with well, you. Who knows, mate? I wish we could. St- I wish we could share our first stinky tofu together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's genius. I need a cold shower, man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Chris, you've been in Taiwan, you just said now, for about six months, and you've been working as a homeroom teacher. This is correct, right? That's the title of your job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm the English homeroom teacher. There's two homeroom teachers. There's the Chinese homeroom teacher. We say Chinese because it's Chinese language, um, but she's obviously Taiwanese, mm. you know, and then I'm the English homeroom teacher, but I'm obviously not English because I'm Canadian. But English language, and then she's Chinese language. What 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 actually is a homeroom teacher? Because that sort of job title I, doesn't make sense to me in my educational career. So, what is a homeroom teacher in Taiwan? I'm not I'm not like a teacher that goes from classroom to classroom. Three hundred one is my class, and that's where I have my desk in the class. You mm. know what I mean? Like I don't go like I, I'm not a busybody that goes from class to class to class. I only teach grade three, 301. Like I'm their homeroom teacher. So I teach them like, I teach them English writing, English grammar, English reading. Uh, did I say it? Okay. Reading, grammar, writing. Then I also teach them like, you know, math, science, art, music. So yeah, I'm their homeroom teacher. I teach them like a bit of everything in English. And then, and then they have a, co- a counterpart that does that uh, in Chinese. So in a way... I even teach them PE. Like I teach them PE as well. Okay. So they're getting all different subject materials in the English language, as well as all different subject materials in the Chinese language. Exactly. So it's a bit like what you might get in Canada sometimes with a French immersion or, or having classes completely in French and then some classes in English as well. Totally. This is a dual language program. Mm. It's, it's meant to be a bilingual program. Okay. Do you find that the kids that you teach prefer the English classes or the Chinese classes? Oh, it's um, that's hard to say. My my Chinese kids like love their Chinese classes. Like, it it really depends on the kid. You know what I mean? I think like in Chinese, they they're all kind of like you know at a relatively like you know high level. Whereas English, like I I think their abilities there's quite a bit of disparity in their abilities. Like I have a few kids that are quite fluent. 
and then I have kids where, you know, some basic instructions are, are challenging. So, you know, and mind you, there's 42 kids in the class. And so like having those kind of like those different levels is, you know, uh, I guess challenging for them. It's challenging for the teacher as well. So, I mean, some kids, some kids love it, love English, some kids not so much, you know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, some, some kids just see it as really challenging, you know, so because they don't have the background that some of their, their peers do mm. like a bunch of my kids, like go to after school, like, uh, they're called bushy bands, you know, after school, like, you know, academies where they just, you know, they they practice their English even more. And so, yeah, I mean, they love English. They could love coming English because they understand everything and they're able to like express themselves. Whereas some of my students, you know, not so much, you know, like expressing themselves is a challenge. Mm as it is with a lot of second language learners for yeah. sure. So there there's a varying degree of enthusiasm for sure. I think overall they they do enjoy it, yeah. And how does I mean, it's not it's not it's not that it's not, sorry, it's not that they don't like whether PE is in English or in Chinese like they love PE. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like oh PE oh English PE they're like oh boo boo like like you'll never hear a kid you know boo PE like doesn't matter what language it's in. <laughs> so same thing with like art they all love art. Okay. How does teaching mm. in Taiwan compare to your teaching in South Korea? So, I mean, I have the luxury now of teaching like a, a variety of subjects, which is awesome. So, I mean, when I was teaching in Korea, I was only teaching English language. So I was only teaching speaking. Mm. Whereas now, like I'm teaching a bunch of stuff, teaching, you know, grammar. Like, you know, in Korea, you're not really supposed to teach grammar. We're not really allowed to teach grammar legally you know we're supposed to be english language speaking teachers only so actually i love teaching grammar so that's like one of the highlights of my days <laughs> i really really enjoy it <laughs> wow i bet you're one of the few <laughs> i i love teaching grammar like yeah it's it's uh yeah it's, it's good fun huh. but yeah so i mean i the biggest difference is like the subjects that i that i can and do teach here and it seems from your experiences and what you were telling about the COVID situation in Taiwan basically doesn't exist in a way. With your working environment, it's almost like it would have been if COVID wasn't a thing. It's just no masks, doing your thing, no social distancing, or are there some um, precautions? No, I mean, we still, it's so funny, like the mask rules are very like inconsistent technically we're supposed to wear masks in school like it's one of the like six six or seven designated public places of assembly where you're you're legally supposed to wear a mask but like you know heaps of teachers don't wear masks most of the kids don't wear masks there are times of like heightened alert where like especially like with that cluster of infections uh surrounding that hospital and that doctor where i was you know on like much more like on guard but like these days, it's pretty easy breezy. Mm. Like, yeah. Providing they keep, you know, clamping down on any imported infections, you'll be all right, won't you? Right. But but I mean, like, just, just to give you an idea, like, so the thing is, like, even though there are, like, no domestic cases at the moment, we still have to go through, like, an infrared thing when we walk into school that checks our temperature. There's kids that are um, assigned, you know, the teacher gets kids to like volunteer to write down the other students' temperatures two or three times a day. So like the kids come to my desk and they take my temperature two or three times a day and they record it, you know, anytime it's over 37 degrees, it's like, uh-oh. And then they get out 
so I mean, they use the the little like laser mm. on your on your mm. forehead to check your temperature. But then if that like reads over thirty eight degrees, then they go get the second uh, thermometer, which goes in your ear, which is a little more specific or a little more like precise. Mm. Uh, so there's definitely like things that we do to like you know we, I mean there's teachers at the front gate that uh, spray our hands. I mean every every child as well uh, with uh, rubbing alcohol when we walk into school. There's definitely precautions in place. And these are the precautions in place when there's like not a single, you know, case of like local transmission, you know, taking place at the moment. It's not to say that that hasn't happened recently, but I mean, like they were doing this, you know, you know, six months ago when they hadn't had a case in months. So yeah, I mean, they've gone above and beyond each step of the way. And that's the reason that they were such a success story. It's interesting in Britain, they want to bring kids back to school. Uh, and I'm just curious if they'll have even as many precautions as you, you've just mentioned there. Like, I don't even think they'll right. have a laser to record your temperatures multiple times a day. I no, doubt I, they'll be having even like sufficient numbers of hand sanitizing stations. I'm just really curious to know. So I guess we'll hear on the news soon what happens in the UK. <laughs> I mean, the way that like Canada, the US and the UK have handled the situation has been abhorrent. <laughs> and like don't even get me started about that like i mean these these are like quote unquote the leaders of the free world and they have completely dropped the ball when it comes to the covid response like it's absolutely yeah, shameful it's, it's pretty embarrassing <laughs> yeah it's it's super embarrassing dude like and it was a sign of things to come like when i walked in like you know completely unaccosted at the airport after like being told by like our leaders to come home quote unquote while we could yeah you know what I mean? Yeah, complete joke. Crazy. When you're not teaching in Taiwan, you were saying that there's a few zones of populations in the north and the south. There's a high-speed train, mm. so you can get around Korea very easily. There's lots of nature, Around Taiwan, areas. my friend. Around Taiwan. My bad. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what kinds of things do you get up to in your free time when you're not teaching? I mean, sure. Like, I just had a month off for Chinese New Year which was awesome, like winter vacation, quote-unquote. And, uh, like, I, I chilled on beaches down south, man. It was dope. <laughs> uh, I, actually, I, first, I went to a, first I went to a city called Tainan. Tainan is, like, the, quote-unquote, like, historical city. It's the culinary city. It's the first – I think it's the first capital, capital of the region. Don't quote me on that. Um, but it has, it has, or the, maybe the first city. Anyways, that's where the first like fort was. So it's kind of like, I think it might've been the first port. It's the first something. Anyways, they have a lot of really, really good food. So basically the first kind of like wave of immigration from China came and they lived in Tainan. And so a lot of the, the food from that region has not been kind of like influenced by the later waves of immigration. So their food is quite authentic and quite different from the rest of Taiwan. And they have really, really good food in terms of street food. Like I had a, um, a soup over there. That's got like a kind of like starchy soup, a lumian. And that was like one of the best things I think I've ever eaten. Hmm. Uh, you look at it, it was just kind of like blended vegetables and a starchy soup with like fish and pork balls. But like the flavors, man, just blew my mind. Like it was sweet, sour. It wasn't a sweet and sour soup, but it did have sweet and sour notes to it. 
so so I was visiting Tainan. Lots there's a an old street there that's like an old uh, Japanese street. So lots of old Japanese buildings there. Uh, so the architecture is stunning. There's uh, an old Dutch fort there. So visiting Tainan, then I went to the beaches down south in Kenting National Park, which is absolutely beautiful. And then I went, then I went home back to Taipei, and I got to Taipei, and I was like, man, it's raining, it's cold here. What am I doing? And so I just went <laughs> back down south. Like I went back to the beach. <laughs> like I spent three days here, and I was like, what am I doing here? Like what? And so I just, you know, and from like you know door to door, it was like three and a half hours. Yeah. So basically, like you take the high speed rail. Like an hour and a half to Gaosheng, which is like the last high speed rail high speed rail station, and then you take about a bus for like two hours down to Kenting, and the, you have nice beaches there. Like you have beaches that are like you know on par with some of the stuff I've seen in Thailand. It's it's really really underrated, really really cool. Yeah, I've also done quite a bit of hiking. You know,、uh, Taiwan is a great place for hiking. Northern Taiwan, Taipei especially, man. Like you know, I, I was doing、uh, hikes this weekend, like in Taipei. Just behind,、uh, just north of Taipei, like you know, thirty kilometers away, there's a big national park there, and I was hiking through the the dense foliage of the forest, or like almost felt like a jungle, and then I emerged the grasslands, and there's like wild, like water buffalo. Wow! And it was really cool. Yeah, like just wild water buffalo. But that, but like <laughs> that, that trail has only been reopened like recently because those water buffalo killed a few people <laughs> a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you gotta like, and so it's funny. Like, they installed these like these like metal columns so that you can like hide from the buffalo if you need to, so they don't gore you. <laughs> so if you can imagine, like there's like these like、uh, like iron pillars that you just hide behind, and like they can't you know get past. So, so it was interesting. Anyway, so lots of hiking. Yeah, and I, I did a hike around the cat village. There's a cat village. <laughs> can you believe that? It's a village like dedicated to cats. Yeah, it's called Hutong Cat Village. It was it was great, man. <laughs> But it was cool because like that hike had really nice views of Jofun. Jofun is a a super beautiful village, like mountainside, like overlooking the sea. That's famous from、uh, the Miyazaki movies. You know Miyazaki, the J- Japanese.、Um, I guess like he makes movies, like animator. He、uh, he made the movies like like the Studio Ghibli movies like Spirited Away, My My Neighbor Totoro, Princess Mononoke, but the town that's kind of like portrayed in、uh, Spirited Away is based off Jofun, and so it's this beautiful like you know like I said seaside overlooking the mountains with lots of old tea houses made out of wood, and so you have these like old historic tea houses and just you know just beautiful honestly. So we had a nice view of that from the hike this past Sunday, yeah. Nice. Then Monday was the water buffalo hike. <laughs> so lots of hiking, man. There's lots, lots to do here. You were talking about how much you were looking forward to the hiking when I spoke to you on the、yeah. last podcast episode when you were in Canada still, and has that lived up to your expectations, or has it exceeded your expectations in terms of the types of walks that you've been on and what you've been able to see? And and I mean, were you expecting buffalo? No, <laughs> I mean, who who's really expecting buffalo? <laughs> <laughs> But so I've done some hiking lately, which has been great. The weather in Taipei. Is not has not been super favorable for hiking over the last six months. There was probably like a two three month spell where it was like raining like every weekend or like almost every day. The weather in Taipei is is really really rainy and cloudy and overcast. 
So, I mean, that has hampered my hiking dreams. That said, I have done more hiking of late as the weather has got incrementally better, but I'm looking forward to the summer and I'll tell you why. It's because in the summer, like it's super, super hot in Taipei, like, like, you know, uh, tropical hot, you know, mm-hmm. and, or sorry, subtropical hot. And like, you know, we're talking like, you know, 40 something degrees, like hundred percent humidity. And I, I felt that at the end of September and I, I, I know that's going to come, but I heard that hiking the mountains in the middle of the country that are over 3000 meters, you know, right now they're too cold, but during the summer when I have six weeks off, those are the best times to hike them because, you know, better weather. And also it's not too hot up there. So mm-hmm. it sounds like the best of both worlds. So I've been tackling some of the like, you know, the lower altitude hikes around Taipei now while the weather's like been cool and not as rainy. And then I'm planning to do the high altitude hikes in the summer as a way to kind of like evade the, you know, <clears throat> the super hot and humid uh, climate of Taipei. Mm. So I'm hoping that makes sense. I'm hoping that's a wise decision, but on paper, it looks really good. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense to me. Mm. Man. So how much longer do you think you'll be staying in Taiwan for? Are you on a revolving contract or is it like a year by year thing? So I have a two-year contract. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely staying those two years. Uh, I'm very open to staying after that. But I mean, who knows what will happen and what, you know, what things will come my way or what life will has in store for me. Sure, sure. But I, you know, I definitely intend on fulfilling my two years and even a third year because, you know, the incentives to stay at my school are, are quite decent. So, and also like, you know, I'm quite, I'm very happy where I am right now, but I mean, who knows? Yeah. You know, we'll see in, in, in two years time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. With this COVID pandemic, that's gripped the whole planet. Mm-hmm. Do you think the demand on English teachers has been affected by COVID or is it the same as before? Or do you think there might be a change coming? It's a really good question. Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, like there are still jobs with COVID. Like there's still, like I was still able to like, you know, get a, a job even with COVID, but you know, like in Korea, like I've read a lot of, um, I guess ads online looking for teachers, like, you know, must be in country because, you know, the facts are that it costs money to put someone in quarantine. Uh, it costs money to, you know, to, I mean, to bring people over. Uh, and just with things the way they are, like traveling, mobility has been hampered. So I, I do foresee, like, definitely a switch to more things going online, for sure. But, you know, that, you know, that's only, I'm hoping, a temporary solution, because I think I think a lot of education, like you know, real classroom education, does definitely still have a place in language learning. So, is there a decrease in demand? I wouldn't surprise it. I, oh, sorry, I wouldn't be surprised, or it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, am I hoping that that is temporary? Yes, because I, I do think that in classroom learning is the real deal, and mm. you know, it's kind of like where you make connections, where you connect to cultures. Uh, a lot more getting that cultural experience and immersing yourself in that culture is, you know, virtually impossible or, you know, to do it like enthusiastically is almost impossible to do online. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping like the rest of the world that like, you know, when this COVID thing blows over, just like the pandemic a hundred years ago, you know, you had, you know, like world war one, the, the, the Spanish flu was it. And that when that blew over, man, you had the roaring twenties, man. 
the Roaring Twenties. And so I'm hoping that we have our own Roaring Twenties and that it brings about, you know, mobility. It brings about people going places, you know, throwing themselves into different cultures and languages and just, you know, lots of wine, lots of partying, <laughs> lots of lots of good times to come, hopefully. The new Grand Epoque. That's, oh, <laughs> you're French, Alan. <laughs> it takes a sip so casually after that. <laughs> Not wine, yeah, that was, unfortunately, that was good. just water. <laughs> oh, I really want wine now. That's a weekend, though, eh? <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I haven't had wine in, like, months. Can you believe that? I can't believe that, Chris. Not, not for Taiwan you. is not a big wine place. Taiwan is definitely not a big wine place. But is there craft? There's lots of craft, yeah. Well, yeah it's expensive. Days. Dude, it's, it's really expensive, though. Hmm. Like, if I told you how much a, a, like a pint of craft beer is, like, your head would spin. So don't tell me. <laughs> no? Like... <laughs> $20. Up there, yeah. I mean, I know, $20 is extreme. So there's, like, a, a brewery called Taihu Brewing, and they're probably the biggest brewers in... I guess the Taipei region and they have like uh, their, their bars. They're kind of like upscale craft beer bars. And like a pint there is like not, it's probably a 15, 16 Canadian dollars. Wow. It's a lot. Yeah. It's steep. And then, so like, I'll tell you the cheapest I pay for craft beer. And this is during happy hours, about $9 Canadian. It's the cheapest I pay here. Yeah. That's, that's like, a lot. it's really expensive. Like, Yeah. If anyone at this present moment is considering teaching abroad, mm -hmm. what professional and or personal tips would you give them to perhaps help them in their decision making? Look at all the online forums like Facebook groups, uh, keep tabs, keep throwing your, your, your CV out there, your, your uh, candidacy out there, um, make connections. Uh, you know, I found this great job just from like this... Uh, this, this he's a colleague of mine now great guy he just posted something on facebook and i responded to that we got in contact he added me on facebook uh he talked the job up i applied he walked me through it uh get out there and make connections and answer ads yeah mm. but be careful of recruiters recruiters can be devious they don't care about your well-being i mean their bottom line is placing you somewhere and that's where their responsibility ends. Uh, and so they don't really have any long-term concern about your welfare at a job. So if you do uh, find a recruiter who is selling you these jobs, read the fine print, make sure that you know what you're getting into and ask the, the tough questions. And if they're dicey, if they like evade those questions, don't, don't, uh, don't sign. Mm. Fair play, man. Mm. Fair play. Mm. and spoken by somebody who has been there and done that yeah and <laughs> if you have questions you can you can write to me like anybody wants advice about the esl world man feel free to hit me up i'll put your contact details in the show notes chris so people who listen to the podcast sure. can email you by just looking at the details on the absolutely. show absolutely absolutely my favorite four chris okay go 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 <laughs> are you ready as ready as I'll ever be. What is your favorite national flag design? Jeez, wow. Talk about a loaded question. Okay, the Taiwan flag is so dope. Like, the Taiwanese flag is really, really cool. Taiwan. I'm just going to go Taiwan. Nice. It's, you know, why, 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 like, mull it over too much? I love the Taiwanese flag. I'm choosing Taiwan. Yeah, don't, don't think about it too much. Otherwise, we'll be here all day, Chris. No. That's right.
And you have better things to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying talk with you, Chris. Don't say stuff like that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm enjoying this as much as you are, by the way. Perfect. All right. So question two. What is your favorite book? Oh, great. It's funny. I was, I was talking about The World According to Garp yesterday, and I really like that book. Great. I don't know if it's my favorite book, but it's one of my favorite books, so I'm choosing The World According to Garp. It's up there. It's up there. Yeah. What is your favorite climate? Like, in terms of, like, geogra- like subtropical, tropical, uh, I-, I think temperate's my favorite climate. Mm. Uh, I think, like, something like... So the thing is, like, I think you have, like, a place like, you know, Quebec that has four seasons, but the winter, like, you know, you have four, like, moderate seasons, like, summer's chill, like, fall's chill, spring's chill, and then you have winter, like, <laughs> winter's brutal. <laughs> like, so the thing is, like, that is not my favorite because the winter is just too brutal. But then you go to, like, Seoul. Uh, Seoul's great. Definitely, like, you know, for sure four seasons. And the winter is, you know, it gets a bit of snow. It's a bit chilly. You get to bust out your winter jacket. Mm-hmm. But it's not overbearing. It's kind of like the winter I wish Quebec had. <laughs> um, so I like I like a four season. I guess is that called temperate climate? I don't know if it's called temperate, but I'm going to call it temperate. So four seasons that aren't too hardcore at the extremes, which I believe is called temperate, but I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I like that word. Well, and would you say that so far your location in Korea has been the best place for that? Or do you have like a dream destination where you might find this temperate climate that'll suit you the most? I think like European climates Mm. are quite nice. Like uh, like, Like uh, Spain or something like that in the north. Yeah, like, sure. Yeah, that sounds really nice. And even the summers, like the summers are hot, but they're like, they're dry hot. And so that's one thing about the summers here is that they're like super duper humid. You know, my school was so nice. They, like, bought me, like, a, a dehumidifier, just like that. They're just, like, they rocked up. They're like, oh, here's this, like, dehumidifier that's worth, like, a ton of money. I'm like, oh, thanks. Cool. Yeah, really cool. And Shashia. Shashia. Yeah, yeah. It's like, thank <laughs> that's you. That's it. And the final question, Chris, and this one you might have to think about, or, or maybe not. Mm. What is your favorite cultural moment or mishap? Ah. Uh. So, okay, so this is really, like, random, okay? I think one of my favorite <laughs> it's, it's, so it's probably not the answer you're expecting because I think you're expecting, like, a specific situation. Uh, so I'm not going to give you a specific situation just yet. I want to dive into something kind of, like, more across the board. So the, <laughs> you're going to find this funny. I know you. The clothing I see, like, the brand name I see the most often in Taiwan, I kid you not, is Roots. Okay. <laughs> You know, root like roots clothing in Canada. Yeah. Like I see people wearing roots back home, but like not that often. In Taiwan, like every third person has a roots hoodie on or a roots t-shirt on. It is like the thing to wear. And there's roots stores like everywhere here. And it's just funny, like, because I think per capita more people wear roots in Taiwan than they do in Canada. By any stretch of the imagination, more than anywhere else in the world <laughs> so i think that's hilarious culturally you know being like you know kind of like a uh, canadian culture meets taiwanese culture the fact that whenever you go somewhere especially like a tourist place where they know they're gonna like take a lot of photos they bust out their best root shirt for that <laughs> and i think that's just awesome i think that's like super adorable <laughs> but in terms of like uh cultural mishap i don't know 
Like I can't think of anything off the top of my head. There, there, there are there for sure have been a few. Yeah. But I, I feel guilty that I don't know one off the top of my head. I do apologize. No dramas. No dramas. Mm. My favorite four. Last question, Chris, and then uh, we'll be out of time for sure. Mm-hmm. What is the best thing about your experience in Taiwan to date? Yeah, and like I, I guess I'm gonna hit a, like a real note just really quickly. Like I just think my best experience is just the feeling of moving forward and the feeling of getting on with my life. You know, and I know that for a lot of people that has not been the case. Like you know, COVID has been a real thorn in people's sides and you know people are going through a lot of hard things and with the lockdowns man and with with employment with money with uh you know things happening at home it's it's tough man and like i feel guilty almost you know like the best thing is that i i've been able to continue on with my career i've been able to continue hiking i've been able to grow and i've been able to you know put money aside and just moving forward, man, Taiwan has allowed me to get on with my life and I could not be more fortunate or thankful. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So kudos to Taiwan. Yeah, really. Uh, what a place. I'm, yeah, I'm ecstatic to be here. That's great, man. Yeah. Well, Chris, we've reached the end of this podcast. So once again, thank you very much for coming on and talking to me. It's been my an absolute pleasure. pleasure as always. Yeah, dude. Always happy to be here, man. Always happy to see your mug. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, man. All right. We'll see each other again soon. I hope so, dude. All right. Take care, Alan. Thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. And if you would like to listen to other interesting talks on travel, there are more podcasts available. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. And for updates, just follow me at The Nostalgic V. Don't forget... Your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. Hey guys, if you enjoy listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond, why not support the podcast? If you haven't already, subscribe, and you'll be notified when new apps drop. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast app. Why not share this episode? Tell your friends about it if something resonated with you. Word of mouth is great promotion. If you're into social media, maybe post a screenshot of the episode or upload the link on your profile so your mates can see what interesting content you've been into lately. All your support comes straight back and helps to keep the travel content and nostalgia of this podcast going. Cheers. So don't forget to subscribe.